Hello and welcome again to the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti, and with me is Jared Riddick from Book of Mormon Central. Glad to be back. We have part two of an article from Dan Peterson entitled Nephi and His Asherah. Please go back and listen to the first one if you haven't done so already. But uh, in this part two, we're going to go over part two of this article, but that focuses on this idea of biblical wisdom writings, which we mm-hmm. probably need to introduce what that is. And we're glad you are coming back because this is definitely <laughs> a more dense and scholarly article than things we have uh, covered up to this point yeah. on the podcast. Uh, we thought this would be uh, a good experiment, though, for uh, for us <laughs> and for you, our listeners, to see what you thought about it. He's really introducing the concept of wisdom in the Bible. Peterson is here. Yeah. And it's this section, actually, if since we split up the article. The article is actually just one part, about about nine pages. We decided to split it. You're picking up on reading. This is in page 22, uh, the very bottom of the page. But it talks about how biblical scholars recognize a genre of writing found in the in the standard canon of scriptures, and sometimes some of them outside of the canon, and things like the apocrypha and other sources called wisdom literature. There's a lot of characteristics, but Peterson points out, not surprisingly, that its most defining use is the use of the word wisdom and yeah. the term wisdom. So in here, it's very striking. He says. Also common to such literature and very striking in texts from a Hebrew cultural background is the absence of typical Israelite or Jewish themes. Talks about how they read you read nothing about like the, the typical narratives, the Moses narrative, the Exodus, the covenants. Because there's instead there is a strong emphasis on the teaching of parents and especially on instructions by fathers. Um, but he says careful readers will note that all these characteristics are present in the accounts of the visions of Lehi and Nephi as they are treated in the Book of Mormon. So Peterson identifies typical sources for wisdom literature coming from different locations. Inter- and it makes an interesting connection with the name Lemuel that I had never thought about before. But how wisdom is often perceived as feminine. Right. As feminine in the Proverbs in the Old Testament. And he does some really interesting quotations from Proverbs where it talks about in Proverbs 8 how wisdom is the first creature of God and has this... Uh, Quite beautiful section from Proverbs, and it's been a while since I spent some time in Proverbs. I, I hadn't really read them in full since I was a missionary, and sometimes around eight, 8 o'clock in the morning, you don't appreciate the subtleties of the poetry quite so much as you do now. Um, but there's some really powerful traditions there and identifying Asherah with the wisdom tradition yeah. as well, making some really interesting connections. Yeah, and so for, for people that want to look more into wisdom literature, things like the Book of Job, Ecclesiastes... Um, it's mentioned that the Song of Solomon would kind of fit into that. Which is not as popular in the Latter-day Saint canon. <laughs> Correct. Uh, so, But this is this is something that is common to this time period. It's common to the style of writing. So it mm-hmm. shouldn't be so shocking to us that something like that might appear in the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. especially early in the Book of Mormon. We focus a lot on the stories in the Book of Mormon. We don't focus on how there are different types of literature in the Book of Mormon. The Psalm of Nephi maybe is an exception in right. Nephi. But we usually don't focus on the differences. Yeah. I think we can benefit from doing that. Yeah. Well, in this particular case too, I think one of the things that that understanding the genre of what might be, be presented will hopefully open a new door to a way of looking at this story, uh, this record, in different parts. And in particular, this idea that uh, that the symbols themselves may have a whole different meaning than we originally came to them with, if you read it as wisdom literature. And 
there's there's a part of you that thinks that we know this so well, right? It's mm-hmm. right at the beginning of the Book of Mormon, so we always read it. First <laughs> Nephi is the most read book in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. So it just feels a little like, hey, this is going to be awesome to learn a different way of approaching this. Can we say that Dan Peterson makes a conclusion in this article about this connection? I think he said makes somewhat of a conclusion there and towards the end. And I need to actually go and review the full 50-page article from the Sorensen Festschrift. But he says these symbols could hardly have known. Could sca- he says, uh, could scarcely have been derived by the New York farm boy Joseph Smith from the Bible. And it strongly suggests that the Book of Mormon is indeed an ancient historical record in the Semitic tradition. And it does. This is context that Joseph would not have known about. Yeah. And I think this is the scholarship of this, right? This is why he's sharing it, to help us mm-hmm. to see a, a, another side of the authenticity of the Book of Mormon. The article may not exactly be couched in how you can find some spiritual meaning out of these symbols but just to say, there is a historical context to this. There is mm-hmm. reason to think that there was something else contextual that influenced Nephi's interpretation. Indeed. So, now on to part two, a reading of the second part of this article, Nephi and his Ashra. What do we have next week? Next week, we're going to look at an article, uh, ironically, uh, from John Sorensen, who's Veshavruder is talking about, uh, from the book Re-Exploring the Book of Mormon, and it's called Winds and Currents, a look at Nephi's ocean crossing. Yes. Awesome. So stay tuned, and uh, here now is a reading of part two of that article. Nephi and his Ashra by Daniel C. Peterson, appearing in the Journal of Book of Mormon Studies, part two. Ashra and the Biblical Wisdom Writings. Ashra is connected with the Bible in an entirely different manner as well. We will examine a Bible passage that seems to deal with her while yielding several interesting parallels to the visions of Lehi and Nephi. Biblical scholars recognize a genre of writing found both in the standard canonical scriptures, for example, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, and outside the canon that they term wisdom literature. Among the characteristics of this type of writing, not surprisingly, is frequent use of the term wisdom. But also common to such literature, but also common to such literature, and very striking in text from a Hebrew cultural background, is the absence of typical Israelite or Jewish themes. We read nothing here about the promise to the patriarchs, the story of Moses and the Exodus, the covenant at Sinai, or the divine promise of kingship to David. There is instead a strong emphasis on the teachings of parents, and especially on instruction by fathers. Careful readers will note that all of these characteristics are present in the accounts of the visions of Lehi and Nephi, as they are treated in the Book of Mormon. The Bible identifies two chief earthly sources of wisdom. It is said to come from the East, which is almost certainly to be understood as the Syro-Arabian Desert and from Egypt. The Book of Job, for example, is set in the East and lacks much, if any, trace of peculiarly Israelite or Hebrew lore. This is reminiscent of the twin extra-Israelite influences, Egypt and the desert, that the Book of Mormon and Latter-day Saint scholarship have identified for the family of Lehi and Nephi. It may be significant that a section of the Book of Proverbs, chapter 31, verses 1-9, through 9, claims to represent the words of Lemuel, using a name that not only occurs among the sons of Lehi, but also is at home in the Arabian desert. 
Certain other motifs common to wisdom literature are also typical of the Book of Mormon as a whole. For example, both the canonical and extra-canonical wisdom books are much concerned with the proper or improper use of speech. The Book of Proverbs warns against the dangerous enticements of the strange woman, even the stranger which flattereth with her words, and advises us to meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Flattering and cunning words, generally used for evil purposes and with an implication of deceit, are also a reoccurring concern of the Nephite record. Another consistent theme in both the Book of Mormon and Near Eastern wisdom literature is the notion that wisdom or justice or righteousness brings prosperity, while folly or wickedness leads to suffering and destruction. The vocabulary of Proverbs chapters 1 through 6, which stresses learning, understanding, righteousness, discernment, and knowledge, is obviously related to important messages of the Book of Mormon in general, and of the visions of Lehi and Nephi in particular. Similarly, Proverbs chapter 3 verses 1 through 12 focuses on our need to hear inspired wisdom, as well as on the promises of life and our duty to trust in the Lord rather than being wise in our own eyes. Each of these admonitions can also be documented abundantly throughout the text of the Book of Mormon. Notably, Nephi's repeated invitation to us to put our trust in the Lord rather than in the arm of the flesh. In Nephi's vision of the tree of life, the great and spacious building symbolizes the wisdom and pride of the world which shall fall. But among the interesting correspondences between ancient Near Eastern wisdom literature and the Book of Mormon, one is of special interest for the present article. Wisdom itself is represented in Proverbs chapter 1 through 9 as a female person. Indeed, here and elsewhere in ancient Hebrew and Jewish literature, wisdom appears as the wife of God and can hardly fail to remind us of ancient Asherah. She may even have played a role in the creation. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, says Proverbs chapter 3 verse 19. Like the symbol of the Asherah, wisdom is a female figure, providing life and nurturing. In fact, as Steve A. Wiggins observes of Asherah herself, she is wisdom, the first creature of God. The classical text on this subject is found in Proverbs chapter 8 verses 22 through 34. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed, Ashri, are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed, Ashri, is the man that heareth me. The use of the Hebrew word Ashri in this connection, from the same root, Shur, that underlies the word Asherah, is probably significant. Happy, Ashri, is the man that findeth wisdom. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 13. A similar wordplay may be going on behind the word happy 
in 1 Nephi chapter 8, verses 10, 12, and perhaps even behind joy and joyous in 1 Nephi chapter 8, verse 12, and chapter 11, verse 23. Another noteworthy fact is that the tree of life, which recalls the Asherah, appears in Israelite tradition as a metaphorical expression for wisdom. Indeed, Mark Smith sees Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 as a conspicuous chiasm in which the essentially equivalent inside terms are chokmah, or wisdom, and eschayim, a tree of life. The apocryphal book of Ecclesiasticus, which is also known as Wisdom of Ben Sirah, uses various trees to symbolize wisdom. Wisdom is rooted in the fear of the Lord, says Ecclesiasticus chapter 1, verse 20 in the New English Bible, and long life grows on her branches. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy, Meushashar, is everyone that retaineth her. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 18. Several parallels between the language of Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 and the language of the visions in 1 Nephi will be apparent to careful readers. Note, for example, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 18, quoted above, the image of taking hold, which recalls the iron rod of Lehi and Nephi's visions. The New English Bible translation of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 18, speaks of grasping her and holding her fast, in very much the same way that Lehi and Nephi's visions speak of catching hold of and holding fast to the rod of iron. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 13 advises us to take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Apocryphal Baruch, chapter 4, verse 1, declares that all who hold fast to wisdom shall live, but those who forsake her shall die. Both the advice of Proverbs and the images of Lehi's dream, furthermore, are expressly directed to youths, to sons specifically, or to children. Oh, remember, my son, says Alma chapter 37, verse 35, echoing this theme, and learn wisdom in thy youth, yea, learn in thy youth to keep the commandments of God. Both Proverbs and 1 Nephi constantly use the imagery of ways, paths, and walking, and warn against going astray, wandering off, and wandering in strange roads. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 17 declares that her wisdom's ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. In subsequent Nephi tradition, King Benjamin speaks of the Spirit of the Lord that guides in wisdom's paths, and Mormon laments how slow people are to walk in wisdom's paths. Proverbs represents wisdom's words as plain, an attribute that is lauded repeatedly throughout 1 Nephi, notably in the narrative of Nephi's vision and throughout 2 Nephi. The phrase plain and precious recurrent in Nephi's account of his experience with the angelic guide, could serve as an excellent description of biblical wisdom. Even more apt is the phrase, plain and pure, and most precious, in 1 Nephi chapter 14, verse 23. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 19, wisdom declares, My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, says Proverbs chapter 3, verse 15 and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Wisdom declares Ecclesiasticus chapter 4 verse 11, raises her sons to greatness. Similarly, Lehi and Nephi's tree was precious above all, a tree whose fruit was desirable to make one happy, desirable above all other fruit. Accordingly, no price is too high to pay if it will bring us to attain wisdom. I say unto you, Alma the Younger remarked to the poor Zoramites in the context of a discussion 
centering on a seed and on the tree of life that could be nourished out of it. It is well that ye are cast out of your synagogues, that ye may be humble, and that ye may learn wisdom. Confident in the quality what she has to offer, wisdom, according to Proverbs, invites others to partake. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, and the opening of the gates in the city she uttereth her words. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of high places, by the way in the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in at the doors. She hath sent forth her maidens, she crieth upon the highest places of the city. Yet for all her exalted status, wisdom must face scorners, which must surely remind the reader of First Nephi of those in the large and spacious building, who point the finger of scorn at the saints, coming forward to partake of the tree of life. This building seems to represent a human alternative to the true wisdom, the divine wisdom of God. Nephi records that it symbolizes the world and the wisdom thereof. Wisdom represents life, while the lack of wisdom leads to death. Perhaps the juxtaposition of a living and nourishing tree in 1 Nephi, with the inanimate structure from which the worldly lean out to express their disdain, is intended to make this point. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it, but the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressor shall be rooted out of it. For whoso findeth me findeth life, wisdom says in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 35 through 36, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul, and they that hate me love death. The sinner, in fact, falls into the clutches of the whorish woman, the rival to Lady Wisdom. For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. Ammon in the Book of Mormon closely echoes the warning of Proverbs. Oh, how marvelous are the works of the Lord, and how long doth he suffer with his people! Yea, and how blind and impenetrable are the understandings of the children of men, for they will not seek wisdom, neither do they desire that they should rule over them. Ecclesiasticus chapter 4 verse 19 says of wisdom and of the individual who strays from her, that she will desert him and abandon him to his fate. In Lehi's vision, those who rejected the fruit of the tree fell away into forbidden paths and were lost, or were drowned in the depths of the fountain. Many were lost from his view, wandering in strange roads. It was for fear of this possible outcome that after partaking of the fruit of the tree, Lehi was desirous that his family should partake of it also. In a parallel vein, Ecclesiasticus chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, tells us that wisdom's dutiful servant will possess her and bequeath her to his descendants. In 1 Nephi chapter 8, verses 13 through 14, Lehi's tree is associated with a river and spring of water. The symbols of fountains and tree of life are frequent in wisdom literature too. Nephi himself in 1 Nephi chapter 11, verse 25, actually equates the tree of life with the fountain of living waters, which waters, he relates, are a representation of the love of God. And I also beheld, he continues, that the tree of life was a representation of the love of God. The inclusion in 1 Nephi of two authentically pre-exilic religious symbols, Asherah and Wisdom, that could scarcely have been derived by the New York farm boy Joseph Smith from the Bible, strongly suggests that the Book of Mormon is indeed an ancient historical record in the Semitic tradition. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Nephi and His Ashra by Daniel Peterson, appearing in the Journal of Book of Mormon Studies. Please stay subscribed to the Rare Possessions podcast in iTunes or on SoundCloud to listen to all future episodes of the Rare Possessions podcast brought to you by Book of Mormon Central. Thanks for listening. Thank you.